from the Heidelberg Catechism. We read together Lord's Days 29 and 30. Are then the bread and the wine changed into the real body and blood of Christ? No. Just as the water of baptism is not changed into the blood of Christ and is not the washing away of sin itself, but is simply God's sign and pledge, so also the bread and the Lord's Supper does not become the body of Christ itself, although it is called Christ's body in keeping with the nature and usage of the sacraments. Why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood, or the new covenant in his blood? And why does Paul speak of a participation in the body and blood of Christ? Christ speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us by his supper that as bread and wine sustain us in this temporal life, so his crucified body and shed blood are true food and drink for our souls to eternal life. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge, first, that through the working of the Holy Spirit, we share in his true body and blood as surely as we receive with our mouth these holy signs in remembrance of him. And second, that all his suffering and obedience are as certainly ours as if we personally had suffered and paid for our sins. What difference is there between the Lord's Supper and the Papal Mass? The Lord's Supper testifies to us, first, that we have complete forgiveness of all our sins through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all. And second, that through the Holy Spirit we are grafted into Christ, who with his true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and this is where he wants to be worshipped. But the Mass teaches us, first, that the living and the dead do not have forgiveness of sins through the suffering of Christ unless he is offered for them daily by the priests. And second, that Christ is bodily present in the form of bread and wine and there is to be worshipped. Therefore, the Mass is basically nothing but a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ and an accursed idolatry who are to come to the table of the Lord, those who are, who are truly displeased with themselves because of their sins, and yet trust that these are forgiven them, and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and amend their life. But hypocrites and those who do not repent eat and drink judgment on themselves. Are those also to be admitted to the Lord's Supper, who by their confession of life show that they are unbelieving and ungodly? No, for then the covenant of God would be profaned and his wrath kindled against the whole congregation. Therefore, according to the command of Christ and his apostles, the Christian church is duty-bound to exclude such persons by the keys of the kingdom of heaven until they amend their lives. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we were privileged to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Why did you come to the table? Did you do so out of custom or routine? Does a service when we celebrate the Lord's Supper mean something special to you? What do you think when the minister says, 
the bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take, eat, remember, and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. What emotions fill your heart when the minister says, the cup of blessing for which you give thanks is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take, drink of it all of you. Remember and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. For some, the celebration of the Lord's Supper is a serious, it's a solemn event. If we remember the price that our Lord paid for our sins, we cannot help but show forth our reverence to God. Christ suffered tremendously in body and soul. He hung on a cross, despised and rejected by men, forsaken by his heavenly Father. He bore our curse so that we might share in his blessing. As such, it's good to reflect soberly on Christ's sacrifice of his body and blood for our, for our sakes. Yet this doesn't mean that we need to wear sad faces when we attend the Lord's Supper. For the Lord's Supper actually has a festive character. It is a feast in which we celebrate the redemptive acts of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Lord not only died, but he also arose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. He has won the victory over sin and death and Satan. By the offering of his body and blood, he has restored us in our relationship with God. And so the Lord's Supper is a meal of celebration. In it, we rejoice in the communion we may have with our Lord and Savior. In it, we look forward with eager expectation to the return of Christ. Well, we will share the wine new with him in the kingdom of his Father. This afternoon, we will focus our attention on how we are to use the Lord's Supper. Remember, it has been given to us for the strengthening of our faith. To use this sacrament does not mean that we just sit at the table and eat and drink. We use the sacrament properly when we remember its purpose. That means we need to pay attention to what the symbols of bread and wine portray. Even you children here in the congregation can use this sacrament when you tune in to the message that the symbols of bread and wine teach us. The bread and wine speak to us about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, how through his death we may share in the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So the Lord's Supper speaks to us about the communion we have with Christ. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. In the Lord's Supper, we celebrate our communion with Christ. We'll see how it is by faith that we have communion with Christ and how we need to live in faith to remain in communion with Christ. This afternoon, we continue dealing with the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. It's good to remember that the sacraments are signs and seals by which the Lord communicates his grace to us. A sign is a picture that teaches us something. 
we see the bread broken before our eyes and the cup given to us. These visible signs teach us that Christ's body was broken for us and his blood poured out for us on the cross. A seal is a guarantee. Something is real or true or certain. The eating of the bread and the drinking of the cup of the Lord assures us that just as bread and wine provide for our physical bodies, so Christ's body and blood nourish and refresh our souls unto eternal life. It's by partaking of the elements of bread and wine that we have communion with Christ. The word communion indicates a sharing in, a participation in something. It indicates that we are united with someone. The Lord's Supper is a meal of communion because in it we share in Christ and in all his benefits. In it we're made one with him through a participation of his body and blood. The big question that faces us is how we share in Christ and his benefits. This question caused great debates in the time of the Reformation. It was especially the different views on the Lord's Supper that caused bitter disagreements and divisions within the church. In Lord's Day 29, our catechism focuses on the Roman Catholic error of transubstantiation. The word transubstantiation means a change in substance. Roman Catholics believe that with the words of blessing spoken by the priest, the elements of bread and wine change into the real body and blood of Christ. The doctrine of the Mass is based on the assumption that the words of Christ, this is my body and this is my blood, are to be taken literally. Catholics believe that the bread becomes Christ's body and the wine becomes Christ's blood. Although the outward appearance of the bread and the wine do not change, they believe that an invisible transformation takes place. They believe that Christ has returned to earth in person, in the bread and in the wine. Thus, when Roman Catholics celebrate the Mass, they supposedly eat and drink the real body and blood of Christ. Please remember that for Roman Catholics, the sacraments are not just signs and seals of God's promises. They're much more than that. For Catholics, the sacraments are the means of grace. They're the way by which people are saved. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that baptism wipes out a person's original sin, as well as all the actual sins he or she has committed to that point in time. In the same way, they believe that the Mass is necessary for salvation. For Catholics, the Mass is not a meal of remembrance for, of what Christ has done for them on the cross. In the Mass, Christ is sacrificed on the altar for the forgiveness of his people's sins. For Catholics, attending Mass is like taking a wonder drug. Because they believe that the bread and wine have changed into the real body and blood of Christ, they think that these elements have real power in themselves. Just like a strong dose of Advil can wipe out your pain, so eating the wafer of bread at Mass wipes out your sins. 
automatically, without any thought, no faith required. This is religion made easy. People can make Christ their own by a physical process. It also gives the church great power. For the church can physically unite you with Christ by giving you the wonder drug, that thin wafer of bread consecrated by the priest. The doctrine of the Mass is an appealing doctrine. It put God in a position where man can control him. It's why the Israelites made the golden calf at Mount Sinai. It's what the people tried to do with God when they took the ark into battle against the Philistines. People want a God they can see, they can feel, they can taste, they can touch. A God at their disposal. In the Mass, people believe that they can ensure themselves of Christ's presence and activity in their lives. That little wafer of bread becomes an idol. They worship it, for they believe that it is Christ himself, that it can save them from their sins. In the first question and answer of Lord's Day 30, the doctrine of the Mass is labeled as idolatry. And that's an appropriate description. For the Mass, people put their trust in a little wafer of bread, as if it can save them. People forget about the Savior, Jesus Christ. There's no need to get to know him or to live in communion with him. What do you need a Savior for if eating a wafer of bread will wipe away your sins? The teaching of the Mass is a deadening doctrine. It allows people to basically live however they want, as long as they attend the Mass on a semi-regular basis. It's striking to note how many gangsters and how many Mafia members were or are members of the Roman Catholic Church. It's noteworthy that many Catholics do not feel the need to attend church more than once or twice a year. They don't need to develop and grow in a relationship with Christ their Savior. They just need to make sure that their sins are occasionally wiped out. The Roman Catholic teaching about the Mass promotes nominal Christianity, where people are Christians in name, but not in deed. It does not require a living faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Beloved, it's good that our catechism opposes the doctrine of the Mass. But it's helpful for us to understand why. For this helps us to better understand what the Lord's Supper is all about. It deepens our appreciation for what Jesus Christ has given us in instituting the Lord's Supper. Question, in question and answer 78, the catechism makes clear that the bread and wine are not changed into the real body and blood of Christ. In question and answer 79, the catechism explains why Christ calls the bread his body and the cup his blood. The point our catechism wants to drive home is that in the Lord's Supper, we are reminded and assured of Christ's love for us in dying on the cross to pay for all our sins. It is important for us not to take Christ's words, this is my body, 
and this is my blood, literally. That was the mistake of Jesus' followers in John 6. There Jesus spoke to the people about how he was the bread of life, the living bread which came down from heaven. Jesus told his followers, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Many of Jesus' followers found that a hard saying. They thought that Jesus was speaking literally about them eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Even though Jesus indicated he was speaking figuratively, many turned away from him. In the Gospels, Christ often spoke in figurative language. When he said, I am the vine, you are the branches, no one imagines even for a moment that Christ really became a grapevine and that we are branches that need to produce grapes. When we show a friend a photograph and say, this is my grandson, this is my granddaughter, People readily understand what we mean. No one takes our words literally. Just as a photograph symbolizes a person. So the bread and wine in the Lord's Supper symbolize Christ's broken body and shed blood. Christ used figurative language to assure us we really do share in the blessings that he accomplished for us with his crucified body and shed blood. Beloved, we need to remember that the sacraments are not means of salvation. Christ instituted the sacraments in remembrance of him. They're intended to focus our faith on the once-for-all sacrifice of our Savior on the cross. The sacraments signify and seal to us the promises of our God. When we attend the Lord's table, we see the bread broken before our eyes, and the cup given to us. And that reminds us of Christ's body being broken and his blood being shed on the cross. Just as bread and wine nourish and refresh our bodies, so at the Lord's table we're assured that by eating and drinking we partake in the benefits of Christ spiritually. Yet these things don't happen automatically. To share in communion with Christ, we need to use the sacraments properly. We need to eat and drink in remembrance of Christ. Our minds need to be involved. Thinking about Christ's great sacrifice for us. For it's when we meditate on Christ's suffering and death that our hearts are touched. We're filled with wonder, with awe, at God's great love for us in sending his son to die on the cross. We rejoice that our Lord was willing to bear the burden of God's wrath against sin and so restore us to communion with him. In this way, the Lord's Supper strengthens us in our faith. It directs the attention to Jesus Christ and him crucified, for he is the only ground of our salvation. Beloved, our communion with Christ is a spiritual matter. Do you know how we are united with Christ? 
Are you aware about what means we share in his treasures and gifts? Certainly not by eating a wafer of bread as if it were some kind of wonder drug. We are united with Christ through faith. It is by believing that the Lord Jesus has died on the cross that we receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. God in his grace has given us the Lord's Supper so that by its use the Holy Spirit would strengthen us in our faith. Our participation in this feast should not just be out of custom or routine. It'll only benefit us if we eat and drink in remembrance of Christ and so share in communion with him. It brings us to our second point, and it will see how we need to live in faith to remain in communion with Christ. If we participate in the Lord's Supper and eat the bread and drink the cup in faith, we share in communion with Christ. We are made one with him in his death. What that means is that we don't need to die for our own sins. Christ takes them upon himself. We're allowed to share in the benefits of his death. His suffering and obedience are ours, as if we had personally suffered God's wrath to pay for our sins. Through the sacrament, we're assured of God's great love for us, that in Christ he has adopted us as his children and heirs, and allowed us to live in close fellowship with him. Yet living in communion with Christ involves more than just periodic attendance at the Lord's table. Those who desire to be one with Christ at his table need to be one with him in their daily lives. To share in Christ and his benefits, we need to abide in him. Christ needs to be at the center of our lives. We need to live our lives to God's glory. We need to seek the coming of his kingdom. We need to be focused on doing the will of our Heavenly Father. Unity with Christ does not come from eating the bread or drinking the cup at the Lord's table as if they were some kind of super drug that will magically anoint us with God's grace. Unity with Christ comes from living with him in faith and holiness in our daily lives. The Apostle Paul makes this point clearly in 1 Corinthians 10. In verse 14, Paul warns the Corinthians to flee from idolatry. The situation to which the Apostle Paul is responding is that some of the church members were attending cultic meals in pagan temples. They were going to the temples of other gods and participating in the eating of food offered to idols. Some of the believers in Corinth saw nothing wrong with this. They knew that the gods of the pagans were not real, and they argue that food offered to them is thus okay to eat. Paul directed the Corinthian believers not to partake in these pagan feasts. He did so by referring to the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Paul makes clear that the bread is the communion of the body of Christ, that the cup is the communion of the blood of Christ. He says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Paul's point is that by eating of the bread and drinking the cup, we're united with Christ, and we're united with one another. 
The Corinthians were foolish to think that partaking of a feast offered to pagan gods in the midst of unbelievers could leave them unstained. Paul admits that the idols themselves are nothing. And he points to the fact that Satan uses idols to keep unbelievers in bondage. The pagan feasts were an act of worship. If we know a little bit about Corinth, then we quickly realize that they also involved drunkenness and sexual immorality. Paul warned the Corinthian believers that their partying with unbelievers in the temples of their gods is contrary to having communion with Christ. For when they indulged in pagan revelry, they left Christ behind. Paul makes it clear we cannot have fellowship with Christ and at the same time have fellowship with demons. This teaches us something about the consequences of having communion with Christ at the Lord's table. If we truly want to be one with Christ at his table, we also need to be one with him in our daily lives. With the Lord, it's all or nothing. God calls us to love him with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind. Living in communion with Christ does not allow us to divide life into different little segments. We cheat or steal in business life. If we engage in sex outside of marriage and then attend the Lord's table without truly repenting of our sins, we are guilty of idolatry. Early in our sermon, we saw that the Roman Catholic Church makes the Mass into idolatry by worshiping the wafer of bread and relying on it to save them from their sins. Yet, beloved, let us be aware of how easy it is for us to also make the service of God into idolatry. Idolatry is having or inventing something other than God in which we place our trust. Those who cheat or steal in business life, those who are unfaithful in their sexuality, they're not trusting God to provide their daily needs. Living in communion with Christ means we look to Him for our hope and salvation, that we rely on Him to provide all we need for body and soul. Since we so easily separate what we do on Sundays from how we live our lives during the week, our catechism draws our attention to the question of who is allowed to partake in the Lord's Supper. Christ has instituted the Lord's Supper for repentant believers. To partake in the bread and wine, you need to know your sins and repent from them. Repentance is more than just saying sorry. True repentance involves grieving over your sins, hating them, fleeing from them. It involves confessing specific sins to God in prayer and seeking the grace of His Spirit to help us fight against persistent and habitual sins in our lives. If you have not humbled yourself before God 
and repented of your sins, you should not partake in the Lord's Supper. Instead of being a blessing to you, you're eating and drinking judgment on yourself. Partaking in the Lord's Supper also requires faith. You need to believe that Jesus Christ has died on the cross to pay for your sins. It's easy to say, Christ has died on the cross for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. But do you truly believe that? Sin often brings with it shame and guilt. Because we've committed certain sins, we think, I'm a bad person. I'm unworthy of receiving anything good from others. I deserve punishment. It can be hard to believe. Christ has truly taken our shame and our guilt on himself. We struggle to accept that Christ has washed us clean. That in God's eyes, we are as white as snow. But even though our faith may be weak and we may waver, we need to believe the gospel. If you don't, then instead of benefiting you, your participation in the Lord's Supper will bring God's judgment on you. The point, beloved, is this. Attending the Lord's Supper does not automatically save you. Communion with Christ does not come from mechanically eating a piece of bread or drinking a sip of wine. The only way to share in Christ and all his benefits is by faith. It's by believing that Christ has paid for our sins when he suffered and died for us. It's by believing that he bore our shame and our guilt by his bitter and shameful death on the cross. It's by recognizing that in Christ, I am a new creation. Not because we're such good people, but simply because God looks at us through the lens of the cross. Today, we've been privileged to celebrate the Lord's Supper for the strengthening of our faith. With thankfulness in our hearts, we remembered the love of Jesus Christ in sacrificing his body and blood to pay for our sins. With hope, we look to the future, expecting Christ to return and take us to himself to celebrate the marriage feast of the Lamb. By partaking of the bread and wine at the Lord's Supper, we could share in communion with Christ. Now, beloved, let us live in communion with him. Let us look to Christ to provide us with all we need and not turn to the world for cheap substitutes. Let us seek the Lord in prayer and ask him to help us overcome the temptations of the evil one that we may live holy lives, for it's living in communion with Christ that provides true comfort and peace and joy in our lives. Amen.